the viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. We talk again, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. Thank you for the opportunity. Good evening. Good evening indeed. You're still healthy and those you love and are dear to you are healthy as well? No complaints. All well, thank you. We give thanks indeed. What can you tell us now? Relief measures for students. So at the moment, we are waiting for the announcement from the minister when we will be returning to campus. And in terms of relief measures, institutions are doing their best and starting to discuss what possible relief measures are available around accommodation, for example. And some of the institutions you would see, like UCT and Stellenbosch, have already started actively engaging with their students and providing discounts around accommodation. There are three categories of accommodation, obviously, and we must remember that. Mm. The first is university-owned accommodation, so that's very easy. Yes. The second is where, where students are living through university contracts in privately-owned accommodation, and many of those students are NISFA students, and they are receiving their living allowances, so that hasn't stopped. And then we have students that have contracted on their own with private accommodation holders. That's the most difficult part. Yes, so we are, as, as University South Africa and many of, of the universities that, that sit with the executive directors of finance on our committees, we are negotiating with the Private Housing Association to see what relief measures we are able to bring to our students. What is the biggest challenge now that, what, universities have been closed for, what, two months or so? You've clearly had an Eight opportunity weeks. to engage everything there has been to engage for the best part of two months anyway. And now this is a recurring theme among all the universities. What is that one concern that, despite your best endeavors, you have not been quite able to overcome or find a lasting solution or strategy around? So the lasting the lasting challenge that we're dealing with is this notion that e-learning is the is the be-all and end-all of solving this problem. Yes. We've spoken, and, and the last time I spoke with you, we spoke about the mm. systemic challenges where, where students don't have devices, they don't have electricity security, they don't have, so it doesn't matter that you give them data, they don't, they're not in an area where data is accessible. So the systemic issues, we, we've, we've done a lot working with NISFA, securing these devices, but we must be realistic. If we're in a situation like this again, we need student support centers and we need rural access and security to all of these uh, services that are available. So we have been negotiating with many of the the service providers, as you are aware, for data, and we have had some excellent deals. None of the providers have given us free data, but, for example, you you might know that Telcom gave uh, a a, a 10-gig deal to UNISA students for 29 rand, MTN has given uh, excellent deals both to the private and the public sector uh, providers. And uh, Vodacom has also assisted, and so has Celsi. So they've dropped their rates. But the fact of the matter is that for students to have data security, we can't be capping them with 10 or 20 or 30 gigs. It's not, it simply is not enough. Yeah, sure. So we need to get a lasting solution, and we feel that what we're engaging in is static IP discussions. We're busy putting university websites onto a a number of partner websites that are government-owned so that it it doesn't eat the amount of data 
that currently is the case. So it would it would have a minimum data usage. We we are also doing obviously within this contingency measures. We are many of the institutions have printed material and couriered that off to their students so that they have access. We are also negotiating with the publishers because many students, when they left res, they they were on on break. So they left their textbooks and their learning materials in their res rooms. So we we are negotiating and doing our best to make sure that students are able to access the content in in a myriad of fields. So I mean, I, if if you leave me to speak, you'll stop me in two hours about um, you know I, about ev- everything that it is that that we've been busy with. But I think the tangible thing is what do people see? What is it that we're doing? Is is learning and teaching continuing in 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 the historic or the, or the required manner, and we certainly have made inroads, but we by no means can say that it is just a successful endeavor, because that, that would just be disingenuous. There are two things that are uppermost in my thoughts right now. You, you, you mentioned the fact that next time we are faced with something like this, we will need, for instance, learning centers with the capabilities to absorb the losses that we are currently experiencing. Um, Next time probably is not what South Africans need to hear because we are in it now. The loss is now, it's immediate, and the effect is felt now. So to the extent that you're talking about a next time, how much of that next time can happen now? Something has been done to create the now as opposed to the next time. In creating these spaces, not necessarily in people's homes because we simply don't have the time nor the resources for that, but surely we can galvanize society and public infrastructure for the purposes of trying to create a now as opposed to a next time. So we absolutely, we're busy with geospatial planning with the Department of Higher Education and Training. All universities are busy in those activities. We have identified sites, we are capacitating them. And when we speak about a next time, it's not just about COVID-19. We must remember when we deal with issues such as student unrests, others, you know, students need to have access to specific sites. So the next time is really about security in the system when volatile situations occur. I accept. I accept. Now, on, on the basis of that, there, there, there needs to be that migration that needs to take place. For instance, there are schools that are not optimally utilized right now where perhaps university students could be making use thereof. We know that schools are going back grade sevens and grade 12. And of course, there's a hope that next week, hopefully, that something will move in that particular direction for institutions of higher learning. When you talk about the integration of the education setup, both basic and higher education. What then are the conversations taking place there? Because whilst in one respect you're prioritizing grade seven kids to be able to move to grade eight, you're still stuck with a grade eight problem who are not in class right now. The same thing in high schools as well and and universities because you've got first years who haven't really moved, who might not be able to move, and there's this great demand now for first year spaces with an even more limited number given the fact that there's a priority that's been made for grade 12 learners who will be moving into first year in South African universities. So Basic education and higher education, what conversations are taking place there? So at a ministerial level and at a ministerial task level, there are a myriad of discussions uh, taking place. But we, we, we need 27 weeks to complete the academic year. 
And we are hopeful that the minister will announce that there will be some leniency in getting students back on campus. We must remember there's over 6,000 students still in res at the moment across universities. Many of those are international students. But we need the most vulnerable students to be able to return to campus so that they can access Wi-Fi and all of these contingency measures for this emergency remote learning that we have instituted. So I, I think that there are many discussions going, but as we said in our, in our previous discussion that we had, unless we address and integrate the system and address the systemic challenges, we're never ever going to have security in the education system. We, sorry. Sorry, when you say when you integrate the system, what inter, well, what integration of what system do you refer to? So I'm talking about when when there are challenges, whether it be floods or whether it be whatever the issue is, that there are centres available so that learning and teaching can continue in rural and vulnerable areas. If they if there is any sort of disruption, that we have integrated plans to say the system is not closed. What is it that we do? to address this? How do we use empty spaces and convert that into into places where, for example, campuses might not have to be set up everywhere, mm-hmm. but that there could be many campuses set up in areas so that students are not so vastly removed from their homes. So th- the big thing in, in rural areas is around making sure that students are in an environment that enables learning, that is conducive to learning. But removing students and just leaving them without the support structures, it is almost impossible to catch up for a student that has been sent to a rural area, living with eight people in a house without any electricity security, did not have access to their books, to to now, unless they get back on campus, to catch up within this academic year. And we don't see this academic year at all being finalized before the end of March. And which would mean that the, March the next academic year would only start in April of next year and would have to be condensed. Holidays would have to be cut and we'd have to put immense effort into completing and making sure that when we say things like no student is left behind, mm-hmm. that we put our money where our mouth is, not, not having empty discussions and seeing that, that students really are struggling. I've heard two things. Effectively, if you're in grade 12 right now and the academic year currently will only be finished in March next year, in other words, you will have at least January, February, March of having to do something to occupy your time because you will not be at a university pursuing your first year studies. That, on present facts, can only happen from the 1st of April from what you have just said. Number two, and most critically, Mm -hmm. when you talk about you are having to think about, we are having to have these conversations. All it simply tells me is government now knows its systems are not integrated, do not collaborate, and are disjointed. Is that fair? So I think on the, on the, on the second question, I think I'll deal with that first, is that there's a lot to be done. And I don't think government is, is trying to pretend that that is not the case. But I, I can tell you, being on the inside of the engine and seeing um, our CEO in meetings day and night, and you know I'm picking up the slack as, as he can't attend things, is that people are working relentlessly to plan for the future, not only to deal with the current issues, but what is it that we need for the future. And, uh, and COVID-19 really has brought about this 
this absolute forward-looking, what is going to happen in the future mentality that I that I haven't seen before. Uh, sorry, if you could just remind me of the of the first question. No, I'm saying the implication of saying that the current academic year at best will be completed yes. at the end of March next year. It means if you're in grade 12 now, the implication is that if you finish your studies at the sometime this year, January, February, March next year, you'll still be in limbo because you will not be able to enroll and pursue your first year studies. So a normal academic calendar would start mid-February. So we would have the break in 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 you know late November, December. January, leisurely time, and then February, institutions start opening up, and the full academic year is really in swing by the end of February. But we we can't complete this also by just looking at the academic calendar and leaving these vast amount of time open. Teaching and learning will have to happen during these holiday periods. So you're quite right in saying at least by four weeks. The delay will be at least four weeks before students would, would enter campus. Because remember, the, the reses are occupied by a specific um, number of students. So those students need to leave for first years to enter the system, both in classroom and accommodation, etc. So those planning mechanisms, we, we, are, we are doing scenario planning all the time. We don't, it will have an effect. Am I going to say it's not going to have an effect? Absolutely, it's going to have an effect. But unless the system restarts, no security and no planning, it's just like an endless circle saying, what if this happens, what if this happens? If we have a date and there's a plan in place, we can start putting contingency measures in place to make sure that we optimize times, be it six days a week, be it rotational schedules, be it just, but the most important thing that we've seen is that Students that are the most vulnerable without security need to get back on campus. And and that is something that we are strongly standing by. You're talking about vulnerable students. Who else is the most vulnerable of all the stakeholders in the higher education setup? Who is the most vulnerable stakeholder? And what measure is being taken to alleviate that vulnerability? So we see some of the some of the really um, challenging campuses that 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 are not well resourced. They're what we call the you know historically disadvantaged institutions. So if we look at an institution like Walter Sisulu, where only ten percent of of students have any sort of device, and we have been raising money. You might see that um, and and in the media. You'll see that APSA has made a donation to six of the HDI campuses to assist us with devices. Government has come to the party. All NISFA students, which make up over 50% of the system, will be getting free devices going forward. Some are on loan schemes from universities. Some are where they are being acquired. There's there's a range of schemes that, that we are busy with. But the big challenge we sit now is in accessing those devices because there's no imports and exports taking place at the moment. So those are compounding issues. All the devices in the country that we are, have been able to secure, we, we have secured. So we've, we've been told that the devices are, are en route by ship and that they, will be, that they will be here within the next month. So those are some of the, the, the measures that we have been taking and working with the system. The Department of Higher Education and Training is working obviously hand-in-hand with all stakeholders to see where it is that we can leverage money. But also we must understand that this whole COVID-19 
is, is a very expensive economic activity for the country. No, no real revenue generation is taking place. So the economy is severely constrained. And we anticipate that it's going to place extra strain on the system. And that is why we've asked corporate partners to please step up and assist where it is, where it is possible to assist us in assisting our students. Fantastic. We do have a voice note for your cons- for your attention, I beg your pardon. Would you like to play it, please, Brafini? Good evening, Songezo. My, my view is, see for those students who stay in, in far away places where it's not able for them to get the proper network lines or as to access their, their studies. I think it's proper and best if the senior students who or for instance, I'm a postgraduate, so I can be able to teach here and there, if ever the location and everything is set for us to actually gather and then I teach them. For instance, I'm, I'm a scientist by, by academia. Thank you. Sakila in latest medical study. Using senior students to assist and alleviate the impact of COVID-19 on the junior students? So I think there there are these mentorship programs and where there's funding available, institutions will do that. But this is all about about money. That's an excellent idea, by the way. I, I think that it is not something that we're adverse to. It's something that is currently operational in most institutions where, where there are assistants that assist lecturers to help uh, students, uh, more senior students. But I think the, the, the systemic issue, as we said, is we would love to have money to take post-grad students and make them available throughout these learning center networks. Mm. Capacitate them. I mean, I mean but the, the realistic thing is we need to find the money. So we need to reprioritize and put this as our key driver in doing it. We really, um, I, I know when, when people say fundraising is the most difficult thing in the world, it really is to convince people to come and, and fund your cause. So this is very trying times, but we will relentlessly try and we, we will take all of these issues on board and, and the Department of Higher Education and Training is also engaging with a, with a myriad of institutions. Not that, not that I uh, speak on their behalf, but sure. I know from my engagements, regular engagements it's with them, as, as well as Professor Bauer's regular engagements with them, that everybody is doing their level best to try and harness resources, reprioritize, reallocate so that universities are able, when they open, and and in this in this very difficult time, to at least get students with some semblance of of readiness for when we open. So if we can't get them a device now, and they the printing material is is must be courier to them. There's there's these measures in place, but we can't be caught in a situation like this again. Absolutely. Because that simply is not acceptable. Absolutely not acceptable. And I'm, I'm happy for one thing. I'm not a student now. And precisely for that reason, my heart goes out to those who are students right now because this is simply unfair. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda Mayer, for your time. Until next time. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a good evening. You too, ma'am. 2132. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everybody, it's the book reading now. Please do stay tuned. After that, the soapy.